Jackson, who is subbing for Greg while he's having a great time at San Diego Comic-Con, which means that I am here by myself with some special guests tonight. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Graphic Policy Radio is the show for comic fans who can explain why, contrary to DC Comics canon, a program like the Suicide Squad would need to be run out of the executive branch and could not be run out of the legislative branch by congressional aid. Even Amanda Waller is subject to separation of powers. Um, So joining us tonight um, are two of our special guests who have been on the show before. Uh, We have with us Sarah Rasher, who is blogging about comics on graphic policy and covers Teen Wolf on the uh, Rainbow Hub and is someone whose academic background is, I refer to it as being a friendly resident Shakespeareologist. I know that's not an accurate term, but it's the one that I feel is most real. Um, And so say hello, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And also joining with us is another uh, classic guest back back from, uh, back back to join us today. Uh, Today is uh, Stephen Adwell. Um, Hello. (laughs) Stephen is our resident actual historian, um, and uh, you probably know his uh, blog, Race for the Iron Throne and his Game of Thrones podcast, if you're into that kind of thing. He's, honest to God, the preeminent expert on Game of Thrones in the U.S. Uh, he's going to try to deny it, but he shouldn't, because this is entirely discussed to be accurate and true amongst other people. So now that we've I just think my, my, uh, my fellow Game of Thrones writers are going to you know, hire a faceless man and have me assassinated now. Yeah, but, you know, like, I think, I think game recognizes game. You know, and I, th- I think that's going to be okay. So, but thank you both for joining me. While I make two people with like lots of academic background and degrees talk about things that are incredibly silly and humor me when I babble about the real way the Suicide Squad is going to be run. Um, so I want to get started. You know, this is our fear of missing out on San Diego Comic Con episode. Uh, Brett was my co-host was on two panels at San Diego Comic Con, and he will be back to talk about San Diego Comic Con with us next week. But for those of us who are not there and who were not there, I was wondering if either of you guys had heard any announcements that really you feel passionately about. Good, bad, intrigued, anything like that. What is there anything that you heard about that's really just like, holy cow, I got to tell somebody about this? Because um. I could, I could say for me, like I, I really feel like the way that the press has been acknowledging the growth in female fandom, and, like, that's been an article mm-hmm. in and of itself. That's been a pleasant thing to see. Um, a number of people have been kicking on conversations. But the article in the New York Times could have had more detail and more explanation than it had, but I was cool to see it get mentioned. Hollywood Reporter wrote a similar piece. Um, so this is definitely being a year of female fan awareness, I guess, amongst the media. Um and the parallel to that, there's, you know, coming out of Comic-Con, we've also seen that there are not, like, in the Marvel, Marvel Comics, a new slate of announcements. Um, they are not really increasing the number of female creators on their staff. There are more female-led titles, but there are not female, more female people writing and drawing and editing and things like that, which is pretty important. Um so that that those are two of my big takeaways from from San Diego. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, um, yeah. 
And when you pointed that out, I hadn't really thought of it because, you know, I think what most people see when they see the announcements of the new titles is like, oh, there's all these female characters on the covers. There's all of these titles with female names in them or, like, you look and it's like, well, clearly She-Hulk is in charge of that one. But you're right, when you look at the at the actual creators, they've got sort of the people that that already have a following, but they're not really hiring all that many new people. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only two women who they there were two women who they added, both of whom worked on were writers on the Agent Carter TV show. Um, so that's a pretty uh, you know that's a really big uh, pedigree for them to have to come in writing. Uh, there really aren't any like. You know, they're new comic writers, but those are serious professional writers out there. They're not. I don't really see like the mentoring of new young talent that's more diverse. I don't. I don't see that happening there right now. Um, no. And that's unfortunate. And you're not really seeing it in a lot of the independent publishers either, which is part of the problem. It's like there's. It's not just that. Oh, they're being mentored elsewhere and later moving up to Marvel or DC. There's not even really. It seems like there's a lot nothing. of encouragement yeah. at any level. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. There's basically no ladder. It's all been kicked out. Um, you know, I mean, I do see publishers like Boom that has really consistently gone to um, web comics and Tumblr to like look for talent and bring that in. I, I know that's a real thing that, that they've done. Um, but uh, I don't really see that happening in so many other places. Um, and that's really bad. And even Boom, it seems like a lot of the women that they're nurturing and they're bringing in, they're writing YA, which while YA is awesome and I love it, and you could, and one of the, the trailers I actually wanted to talk about was the the Hunger Games because I I eat that stuff up. But it's still it's this sort of like YA is the ghetto where you put women writers. Mm. That's a great point. Mm. Stephen, did you have any big reactions um, to San Diego? Yeah. Um, so I had a pretty big negative reaction to uh, Lucifer, or the show that has the name of Lucifer and <laughs> a piano bar, and that seems to be it. I mean, you know, Mike Carey's uh, Lucifer is probably, you know, unfilmable on television just because of how cosmic and weird it goes. Um, but, you know, especially, like, after what happened with Constantine, where, like, you know, there was so much that worked about it and so much that didn't. It's like, ah, damn it, the the sort of, the, uh, I don't know, you know, whether you'd call it sort of, you know, the magical side or the metaphysical side of DC just can't catch a break on TV. Mm. Yeah, at the same time that... Yeah. Except for iZombie. iZombie is awesome. Yeah, tell us a bit more about that. I know you you have a lot of opinions. I, I want to hold off my, on my feelings on iZombie and let Steve talk a little bit more about why Lucifer sucks, because I agree with him, though. So oh, let, okay. put a pin in that. Well, I, I think the basic reason why Lucifer sucks is that they took this idea of, like, okay, what if, you know, Satan quit and decided to live in LA. Um, and rather than have it being this enormous meditation about, um, you know, 
identity and individualism and all kinds of different folklore. Um, they made it, you know, anti-help the LAPD solve crimes. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, that's, not, that's not what Lucifer would do. Like, what the hell? And uh, the thing that I was actually kind of positively surprised about is that apparently the buzz coming around, uh, coming out around uh, the Warcraft movie uh, is pretty good. And, you know, I, I really like Duncan Jones as a, as a filmmaker. I, I loved Moon. It was one of my sort of favorite sci-fi movies. Uh, sorry, so I'm, sort of the film again? My... I'm sorry? You loved what? What was the movie you said you loved? Uh, Moon. Oh, Moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Sam Rockwell. Have you not seen it, Alana? Funny you should ask. I have had tickets for it even, but I have not seen it. So I gotta get on that. I I do love yeah. that well. And, you yeah. need to get on that. You need to get on that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. I mean, I'm sure it's available on on some streaming service or other. But it is a great example of uh, really sort of smart, idea led and character led sci fi done on a tiny, tiny budget and achieving enormous results. That's and now they've sort of, her. yeah. And now they've sort of handed in the absolute opposite. Uh, you know, like hmm. it's here's you know a hundred odd million dollars and as much CG as you can manage, <laughs> and but you know make something like not singular, crap. Yeah, I was gonna say like, but it's still a film that seems to have a singular artistic vision in some way. It's like it's not just a um, a uh, genreless studio conglomerate you know, generic thing, right? It's not, it looks like it has a, a specific look and, and feel to it. Would, would that be fair to say? Uh, I mean, I it from what I've seen so far, it looks, it, it's very recognizably Warcraft in a way that makes it not just generic fantasy, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to see any of the, like, you know, in in a <laughs> at a time in which every like trailer that has you know quote unquote leaked is pretty clearly been you know leaked by PR departments who want to make sure that it gets out of the right you know news slot. That's one thing that has not leaked, so I I haven't huh. been able to see the footage. Gotcha, gotcha. And what of, and what it's, of I'm the, in, uh, the and one of the trailers that I was going to bring up, and it's interesting because I'm sort of seeing the parallel is that. And this has gotten sort of mixed responses, but my response is positive, is that they released sort of the final Fantastic Four trailer prior to the movie opening. Mm. And that's another director who, it's it's Josh Trank who did Chronicle, and, you know, which is a another yeah. really good shoestring budget sort of superhero fantasy movie, and now they gave him this big budget superhero movie with, like, this incredible cast. And... I can't, and a lot of the the criticism for this has been, well, the dialogue sounds a little flat, and my response is, yeah, but you've got, like, Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller and Kate Mara who could, you know, sell mediocre dialogue and a really good director, so you might get past that. So it's interesting to see a lot of these directors who have made really memorable 
sort of shoestring genre films getting these big movies that are going to kind of sink or swim them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, uh, I think kind of the best example is like just, was it last year or the year before the the Godzilla reboot? Mm-hmm. Where they went to, a year ago. Uh, yeah, they went to, you know, uh, this guy who had done, you know, a movie, you know, pretty much on his laptop. He did, he did Monsters. And he was like, okay, you know, go for making a movie that I think was made for, what, maybe 40 grand or something like that, and now make, uh, now make, you know, a gigantic tentpole franchise movie. I I also love uh, Chronicle. I just want to say my only beef is that I kind of would have preferred Michael B. Jordan's character to be the the main protagonist as opposed to uh, the kind of vanilla white dude camera guy. Right. But then, you know, immediately sort of hiring him again to be to be in a in a featured role in this bigger production is really interesting to see that sort yeah. of continuity there. And I love the fact that Michael B. Jordan is going to be playing Adonis Creed. And he looks fantastic <laughs> yeah. in that role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's also just been great in the media in terms of, like, recognizing that this public outcry against him playing the Human Torch is racist and bullshit and that he has a platform yeah. for talking about it that other people don't. So I really respect that he's been outspoken about it and has done a great job. Yeah. But you know who else is outspoken and awesome is Amanda Steenberg from not from um, the Hunger Games movies. And it sounds like you thought the Hunger Games movie uh, trailer looks really good, Sarah. Um, no, it was really, if, I don't know if you watched oh. it, but the one, the nope. Comic-Con one <laughs> was basically like this chorus line of, of soldiers, and then um, Katniss comes out front, and it's almost, like, I can't quite understand why they're setting up Broadway, but they are, and the only thing that I can think of is that they know that nobody is seeing Mockingjay Part 2 unless they've seen the other three, and that everybody right. who's seen the other three is in my shoes, which is basically like, okay, fine, shut up, here's my money, because even though we've read the books, we need to see how it ends. Um, and they sort of seem to be banking on that in their PR campaign. They're like, there's nothing we can do to sell you on this if you're not already into it. All we can do is make sure that if you're already into it, you go to the theater like five times. So hmm. um, so the trailers are all very like, you know, just, you know, just keep retweeting it kind of like attempting to be viral without actually giving any information, huh. which is it, it probably looks, at this point when everybody knows how it ends anyway. Who cares? It's it's actually pretty savvy that they're not trying to sell anybody new on it because if you're gonna get into it, you're not gonna start with this movie. It it looks vaguely like that uh, the famous Apple commercial with the hammer toss. One of the other ones did. One of the other ones did. Yeah. Just, you know, the whole, like, you know, white and there's lots of light and then all of a sudden there's one person wearing red. See, I was going to compare it to a Matthew Oh, I can see it, yeah. But there was was another one that was much more, um, much more deliberately quoting that stuff. They've been, they've been very aware of what they've been referencing. 
Well, I'm just looking at still. I haven't watched the actual video, but I, I actually was thinking from your description of the from the Matthew Barney Cramester cycle of like the weird chorus lines that they have going on there. <laughs> it's, it's gonna... Okay, you just ruined it now in the best way. Oh. Well, no, no, like like it's the good kind of ruined. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm like I'm totally fine with ruining things for people. I just calls them likes I sees them. Um, so. Is that, do you see that? Is this just me being weird? No, I see it, and I'm, it's it's one of those, like, oh, my God, you're right, and more than any of the other things that we've been bringing up, that, I can't, I, like, I kind of hope it's intentional, but I doubt it is. Gotcha. Because if it is intentional, then they're trolling all of the, like, Teenage girls that are going to go see this movie, and that's fantastic. Is this Mockingjay? Is this a new one? Mockingjay Part 2. Mockingjay 2? Basically, they Got took the, the installment of the of the book trilogy in which the least happens and split it in half. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the ongoing, like, franchise thing of trilogies are now... Uh, Tetralogies? What's the word for yeah. four? Tetralogy. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of, of trolling, do we want to talk about the uh, Superman versus Batman trailer now? I mean, clearly. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe. I, Are we going to talk um, about how much I'm not watching it or, like, not seeing the movie ever and they've just made yeah. sure... I I'm, I uh, I'm only watched the trailer because it's my like journalistic duty to have done so. I really wasn't interested. I there's a lot of people who are on the internet who are wondering if there's going to be a Jason Todd thing happening. If there is, maybe I would watch this. But I just I think that it's building everything to be a metaphor that doesn't actually make sense, and it's possible that the metaphor would work in the world of the film. But as someone who has spent too much time thinking about Superman and Batman in, in my life, it doesn't really translate to me. Plus, their Superman is just completely freaking wrong. Like that, they ruined yeah. Superman in the other movie. So there's like really nothing they can do unless they were going to, you know, have a completely different Superman. I guess. Well, they, you know, it, it's actually kind of impressive, like how they've continued to make it worse because. Uh, so, you know, we, we see actually finally some shots of, you know, Superman actually saving people. But then uh, Ma Kent, you know, continuing this bizarre trend of, like, making the Kents be the worst people possible, you know, tells Superman basically, you don't owe anybody anything. You know, do whatever you want. And we're like, where, you know, <laughs> my, my thinking on this is someone really desperately needs to send Zack Snyder, one copy of what's uh, what's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way for every hypothetical person in Metropolis that he had killed in the first film, because yeah. there really is no sense of like what um, you know Superman should be about. It's, I watched it, again, out of just, like, I figured we'd be discussing it, and I watched it right after I'd watched the Deadpool trailer. And so my first response was, why are they trying to turn Superman into Deadpool? Because Ooh. Deadpool's whole hmm. premise is, like, 
having wonderful superpowers and not giving a crap. Um, and then I was on GChat with a friend who also watched it because I gave her the link to all the trailers, and her response was, so we're supposed to be rooting for Lex Luthor? So yeah, that yeah, it's like he's the most pleasant character in that trailer. So, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and so it's just it's, it's not right. in the spirit of anything. You know, in 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 the movies, Superman is a dangerous alien who could, you know, as Batman says in the movie, could kill us all. But there's so much that doesn't work. Like for example, the idea of. Apparently, Gotham and the Metropolis are basically twin cities in this movie. Which I find very, very strange, because how do you explain Superman not doing anything for the city next door? Yeah. Um, Also, it just doesn't work geographically. Yeah. She's like, no, no, that's wrong. Move on. You know, there's, there's always been this thing about, you know, that Metropolis is, is, you know, Manhattan during the day and Gotham is Manhattan at night, or at least, you know, what Manhattan used to be. But that's taking it to a kind of a ridiculous level. Yeah, it's just, and then Suicide Squad looked like even more painful and point missing and just, when I say that I don't, read DC or go to DC movies, it's not because I have anything inherently against it. It's just that they keep doing stuff like this, and I'm like, well, why would I want to go see that? Why would I Why would I want to start reading that? And it's just felt like more examples of that. Well, what specifically about Suicide Squad was yeah, Because I had a different reaction, actually. Ah, uh, okay. So, so uh, I feel like... <laughs> it's it's going to be pretty predictable for both of us, um, but it's just, it was so just like everything was gray, and it was taking characters that I associate with having some of the lighter touches in the DC universe and just making them as like grim, dark, and washed out, and like self serious as possible. And then the difficulty with doing the Joker is it's almost like a too soon type of thing. Yeah. yeah. And just seeing anybody trying to do a sort of young Joker right now, it was just sort of like, you, you like, don't make this movie yet. But a lot of it was just like, I wanted Suicide Squad to have a sort of dark humor to it, and it didn't seem to. And that yeah, would have been the thing that would have gotten serious. me to go, and it just seems to be missing. It, it was very serious, and I also want to echo what you said about it kind of being a little washed out, which is, you know, as far as I could tell, the Suicide Squad consists of Will Smith, uh, Margot Robbie, and a whole bunch of, like, weird-looking white dudes who weren't very memorable. Yeah. And it's just like there was a lack of visual distinct, like, which is so funny because you think that, like, one of the things that makes superheroes a kind of, you know, a strength of the genre, one of the things that makes it kind of unique is that you've got these such visually distinct, you know, 
uh, Im- you know, colorful visual designs for characters. And here it's like, now who is that? They're guy? not using it. Yeah, they're not using it. Um, it's it's really misguided. I I agree that. I mean, the, you know, the point of Suicide Squad is that it's funny and it's dark as hell. And it's simultaneously, I'm sorry, the point of Suicide Squad in the comics is it maintains being incredibly dark and bleak, but also, when done well, darkly funny. I think that it's possible that the movie can still do that. Um, I think that the, the trailer was cut to sort of be suspenseful and to, like, highlight as much Harley Quinn, frankly, as possible and to show off Amanda Waller. And one thing I will say is I'm really liking Amanda Waller in the trailer. Um, you know, I, I'm i a huge fan of the character, like, I, I mean, as a villain. Like, she's a great villain. Um, and I think that it would be great to see a really powerful, interesting, complex, you know, African-American woman who is a grown-up, who's older, you know, in this sort of a powerful position in a movie. And, like, that just isn't something we've got to ha- gotten to have yet. And I would I would be surprised if the movie wasn't going to have any humor, like, given, like, who, they're, who they tried to put in it. I think that, you know, we're going to have to sort of see what happens on that front. But I'm really excited about Amanda Waller in that. Um, yeah. I, I did yeah, like a lot of these, one... I, want, I desperately want that movie to not be represented by what was in that trailer. But from that trailer, I don't know. It's it's more like a lot of the things that appeal to you, I think, as well as to me, are sort of like I hope this movie actually does this, rather than like the trailer showing us that it's actually doing it. Mm. The production value was thing... good, which was nice, and not a yeah, good show one... actually. One thing I wanted to to give credit for, just so that we're not you know completely dumping on it, is I did like what both Batman and Superman and uh, Suicide Squad were doing with continuity, uh, which is that it seems like they're just kind of dropping stuff in, without hopefully doing much in the way of origin stories. So like yeah. just having Jason Todd be a thing that people know about. Or, you know, apparently uh, Ben Affleck as Batman is going to be in the Suicide Squad movie, like, in a cameo, and just have that be a thing that, like, yeah, there's there's Batman in this movie. Um, I think that's good. I like the idea that, like, oh, you know, that, that comic book characters can just do these uh, cameos without having to explain it and build it up first. You know, making a little bit, you know, the the whole kind of shared universe thing be a little bit less labored and kind of time intensive. Hmm. Yeah, there were a few. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I don't know. I I mean, I do. I I do feel like we're. You know, it's a bit early to really know for sure. And I think that yeah, it needs to be funnier. Also, it's not going work, but um, I just am so excited by the performance of Amanda Waller that I'm, I'm holding out hope. And also, did anybody else see, like, I thought that Tom Hardy was not going to be in the movie, and I could have sworn I saw him briefly in the trailer. Have they cloned him? Am I old? Do all white people look the same now? Anyone? Sorry. I wasn't watching carefully enough to be able to tell you. 
to be honest. I just really could have sworn I saw him in there. Um, I did not want him as flag anyway. That would have been the biggest waste of him you could possibly imagine, basically. Um, although speaking of wasting people, I mean, here's, here's, so I really wanted Will Smith to play a hero because he has that charisma. Um, if he was going to be cast as a bad guy and not as a major character, then Deadshot is a great way to go because Deadshot is the sort of person who, if he chooses, could have that kind of charisma. He just chooses not to because he hates himself. Um, uh, so it was, I, I, in some ways I was like disappointed that they weren't putting him in a hero role, but if you're going to cast Will Smith as a bad guy, Deadshot is a bad guy to have him be. And I love Deadshot, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Even if this costume is weird as hell. So there were a couple of TV shows that kind of caught my eye. What's been interesting about this sort of early reports about the TV is that the things that I thought were going to be good have turned out to just be really mediocre. And things like Limitless that I had no hope for, the response has been really positive, and the early hmm. sort of presentation has been really positive. But um, the things I'm most excited about are things that make me think of being in high school because I'm old. And so I'm really excited that, about the whole um, Ash versus the Evil Dead thing. Yeah. Just because that that looks that's like when we're complaining about some of these other trailers not highlighting the humor enough. That trailer felt like we're going to show you everything that's going to be funny, and we're not going to ruin it for you at all. Yeah, tell tell me more about that. I don't know about this show. It's okay, so you've seen the Evil Dead movies, I hope. Yes. 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 Well, you were friends with me at, at the time, when, yeah, so there was no way you would have like, done none of that. Anyway, so, um, so. <laughs> yes, yeah, so basically yeah. it's Bruce Campbell as Ash, except that he's the age that he is now, and then he's got some sort of younger, like, employee, like they work at a store of some kind. So he's got these sort of like young adult type of employee sidekicks that he sort of pulls in to having to stop the evil that's risen again. And they're doing it as a series where they where instead of, you know, like he can seal the evil back in the book within the course of a movie that like little bits of evil have to be continually sealed back in. It lo- it's on stars. It looks like it's going to be incredibly gory hmm. and incredibly silly. And that's sort of like low-budget-on-purpose look, where they're actually putting quite a bit of money into making it look incredibly shabby. Hmm. <laughs> and it that just looks smart. like it's going to yeah. be funny, and but still scary and gross and kind of all the things that are really appealing about that whole universe in the first place. That sounds really great. I, I've been frustrated. I feel like a lot of shows have been on network TV that should not have been on network TV. So I'm glad to hear that, like, they recognize that there's some things that you can't do on network TV. Like, for example, you can't have a John Constantine show on network TV. Uh, and so I'm happy to hear that Evil Dead is also not going to be on network TV. Yeah. And that they're keeping and, what makes it fun. Yeah. And that they re- they figured out what makes it fun and made sure that those things are going to maintain and also that those are the things that they're marketing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and knowing their audience in those ways. What are the other shows that you're that that folks are hearing about that they're looking forward to seeing? Oh, did you want to talk about iZombie briefly? Uh, well, iZombie is already on, and I don't know if there was a major presentation. I haven't seen a lot of buzz about it from Comic Con. They might have brought it up a little, but it's I love it, and everybody should watch it. And for me, it's the most successful. Adaptation of a Vertigo comic to TV, and it's partially because it's it's just sort of it fits very nicely into the CW, which is what it's on, and partially um, just that it's made by the same guy who made Veronica Mars, and so he's basically making Veronica Mars with zombies and minus all of the things that he screwed up doing with Veronica Mars. Um, but it's it's very much its own show. It's really funny. Um, the procedural element is not overwhelming. Um, the mythology is actually consistent and makes sense and does away with a lot of the things that are annoying about zombie mythology. It's got a really sort of fun female lead who can keep up with the dialogue. Um, her two... Mm. Partners in fighting crime are both men of color, and they're both interesting. And it's just, it's the kind of thing where it's like I I tune in every week, and I'd be surprised by where they took it in the best possible way. That sounds so, great. So go marathon the first season. It's going to have a full, it was a mid-season replacement in the first season, so it's a short first season. And then they're doing a full season for season two, and everybody should be watching this and getting over themselves and acknowledging that the CW is doing consistently entertaining genre television. I I would honestly say I think they've got the best track record for for genre television at the moment. I would agree with you. I mean, Arrow and Flash especially, you know, have been rare examples of comic book shows that were, like, not just unafraid to be comic book shows, but, you know, kind of happy and proud to be comic book shows. And they cross over, but they're really different from each other. Oh, yeah. I'm actually kind of hoping they cross over less so that they can each just sort of be their own thing. Well, I um, have opinions about Green Arrow that I won't torture you all with right now. I think that <laughs> being a Green Arrow fan is detrimental to watching the Green Arrow show. Um, so I won't go there. You have to I pretend that. that they don't even, like, you You have to just pretend that they're not even in the same building because otherwise right. you will hurt yourself. And yeah, people, yeah, people <laughs> tell me just pretend, pretend that it's Bruce Wayne. Pretend it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> don't pretend <laughs> that it has nothing to do with Oliver Queen. Um so, yeah. Actually, Pretend that it's a Batman knockoff where they couldn't get the rights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if they were going to do that, there's so many Batman ripoffs that they could have used, actually. But that's another story. Um, so speaking of stories, I want to make sure folks have time to talk about comics for a little bit right now. Um, we were doing a bit of a run-through of what are some of the shared titles that folks have checked out. And, and one of the things that I think is important for us to talk about is the Eisner Awards, which are the big industry uh, comics awards that happen every year. They're announced at San Diego Comic-Con. And we've been really excited to see that Lumberjanes, which is on 
Out by Boom Studios is, you know, a new title by two female creators. Actually, the whole, the whole creative team really are, are women um, and are amazing, and they are just winning Eisner Awards. And, um, you know, Stevenson, the, the creators, uh, Shannon Waters, um, and just, like, great people working on this book. And uh, it's it, it was not just the winner for young adults. It was also the winner for Best New Series. Uh, so I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of time to talk about that on the podcast today. Uh, for those who don't know the series, the premise is there is a summer camp for kind of awesome Girl Scouts type group. We have a crew of four, I'm sorry, of five young girls who are friends with each other and go on madcap adventures that have a bit of a horror monster uh, feel to them, but it's all, it's none of it's too scary for kids. Like, it's all very much, you yeah. know, it's, it's a book for kids, but the adults can certainly read and love and enjoy a lot. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not good at telling you how old people should be when they read things. Um, this was actually given the award by the Eisners for, like, teenagers, which I think is preposterous, but we'll go into that in a minute. I think that this book would be very friendly for, for, for younger kids, much younger kids than that. Um, and it's got adorable art and good humor and is really well done. Uh, one of the ongoing gags is that people's exclamations are uh, dotted with the names of various important women in history. Um, mm-hmm. So if you are reading the comic, it's a good opportunity to pull out your uh, Wikipedia and look up a couple of names in case you haven't heard of them. Um, so that's yeah. Sort of the bell premise. hooks used as like a, a Stanleyism was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the joke about? Oh, I think somebody might actually have a list of interjections online in there, which would be great. For the love of Sister Rosetta Tharp, please. I mean, I I, I want yeah, to. What in the name of What in the name of Mae Jemison? It was stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so. totally. And of course, the girl who's the one who says that plays guitar, like Sister Rosetta Tharp does. So. Um, yeah. It's just oh, I love this comic. Uh, and we and we've been reading it since it came out. Um, the first two trade paper bags are out right now, which means that these are great gifts to go and give people. Um, I don't know if you guys have strong feelings about this book in terms of age stuff, but I was surprised to see that it was put for like I think it was like thirteen year olds or so uh, in the in the in the Eisner Awards, I, I feel like it can go much younger than that. But let's yeah. have thirteen. You're reading adult stuff, so I don't know why you would have a book that was tar- targeting kids. I mean, I, I like, think I it, it reminded me kind of a lot of like Adventure Time, of like stuff that works for a very wide age range. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd definitely give this to I don't know under ten. You know, I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is I would – one of the things that really stands out to me about it is, like, I would give this to boys, even though there are barely any male characters in the entire thing, because I feel like this would be, like, your proof that if you give people of any gender a good story, they're just going to read it. And it's just mm-hmm. that it, it as much as it's so much making a point about this is a girls' camp where everybody – is female and that that and that when male characters show up that's actually remarked upon um that at the same time that it's just it's such a good story that I, that you like after a while you don't really notice is maybe the best way to put it 
Yeah, I mean the book's handling when there's a when they have the, the when they're I'm sorry when they end up running into the boys from the boys camp who have been possessed. Um, there is a sort of cool moment of the being like, oh yeah, boys are a thing. Okay, that's let's be nice to them. And like that was sort of the dynamic. Yeah, there. it was not like and ooh boys or yay boys. It was like oh it's people. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I like the fact that like the the girls ick moment is associated with like rampant werewolfism and mind control because it just kind of really yes. put a, you know, uh, a finger in the eye of that particular uh, attitude. Yeah. It's also, it's, were you ever a Girl Scout, Alana? Cause I was. No. <laughs> ah. And I won my Girl Scout camp experiences were sadly unlike that. Um, but there's a lot of in-jokey stuff that if you had that particular experience, like there's the whole arc where they're like trying to get all of the terrible badges. And like, even though they seem incredibly easy, they turn out just to be impossible to get for some reason. And there's a lot of things like that that I think really resonate um, no matter how long ago you were in Scouts with that kind of thing. So there's all, so it's going from all these different kinds of cool angles. Yeah, yeah. I love the characters' dynamics and all of Betty's personality within the group. Um, you know, I don't think there's like a single like one-line description that you can really use for any one of the characters. They're, they're each distinct, but none of them are just, or like a specific type, really, which I think is unusual and, and cool to see. Um, yeah. And I feel like they dig into the personalities more so even later in the series. You know, they talk about how Mao is, you know, she's, you know, tries to present herself as really tough, but she's actually really frightened by a lot of the physical things they're encountering because she's so much of like a city kid and, um she feels really self-conscious about when she's not able to, like, assert herself as being tough. Um, and, like, that whole dynamic is something I really identify with, um, like, that, like, I'm supposed to be the tough one, but I'm actually not comfortable in these certain circumstances and contexts, and I don't want you to know that about me, and I'm not living up to my own manifesto. And I, I really love that about about the character, and I really love that about the book. Um, I think one thing that is important to remark on, because this is just, so rare to see is how great of a job like the book does in terms of like having there be like female romantic interest between kids characters about it like and have that just be part of life and have it not be something which makes it like not be a kid's book like because there's kid crushes are in all kids books so there should be kid <laughs> crushes of all kinds in all kids books um I don't feel like anybody's anything I've read has had this kind of like canon relationship between kids and a book. Uh, that we're both yeah, the only thing out. I can think of that's comparable is The Fosters, which is a TV show and of a very different genre and audience. Um, so it just, it seems to be starting to be a thing where you get kids that age having same-sex romances that are very much the kinds of romances you have at that age. Where, like, getting to, like, hold hands with them is a really big deal. Yeah. 
I mean, I really can't think of, like, anything that, like, you know, in the end of the day, Adventure Time doesn't have that. It wants you to think yeah, that it does, I, I was just, and it doesn't. I, I was just more thinking the kind of the art style was, was a little bit reminiscent and also that kind of age appeal thing. Hmm. I seem to be going for mostly surface comparisons tonight. That's okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, the whole thing with, like, the, the, the evil spirits being the force of telling them no girls allowed, I think was a great was a great touch and, and good thing to highlight in there. Um, I, I think that they're really beginning a new story arc right now. So my suggestion for people who want to get on the series would be you could probably just start picking it up from the from like issue fourteen basically, but you would be a much happier camper <laughs> camper if you go to your store and pick up the first trade paperbacks <laughs> of the series and then share them with kids in your life because like I wish we had had this when I was little. It would have it's awesome. Um so you can help. I'm actually else sitting back and trying to think of what it does remind me of and I keep hitting on it reminds me of like the Babysitter's Club, only all the things that you wanted that to do that it didn't, it's actually following through on. <laughs> but the Babysitter's Club didn't do, like, anything I wanted it to do. And I, re- I read a number of them, but, like, it never had any really, like, anything really exciting in it ever. Well, that's exactly the thing, that they're going on actual adventures. It's following through on the complexity of, of characterization, and everything doesn't just reset at the end of every issue. Mm, and. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, it's all the things that, like, we didn't quite get from all those, like, girl-oriented serials in our generation. It's actually giving you all those things. Plus all the queerness. So, yay. (laughs) Yay, queerness. Yay. And yay to the Eisners for giving this the Best New Series Award. Um, Mm -hmm. any, Any other Eisner thoughts, guys? Uh, it sounds I, I like don't there's a lot more female, anything. a lot more, there's a lot more female nominees now than there have been in the past, which is good to see. I don't know if anybody's done a racial breakdown though. But I'm sorry, Stephen, you were going to say? No, I was just, uh, I didn't have the list in front of me, so I was just wondering if there was anything else that jumped out to you. Um, the writer of Avatar um, has got one of the best writer awards, Gene Wang, and he's really great and deserves it. And I hope that he will continue to be making lots of great art that I can consume. Um, so he he won that gun. And, uh, wow, I'm drawing a blank. I don't actually have the list in front of me right now. I'm a terrible, terrible host. Why isn't Brett back? Um, I don't have it in front of me either, but not a lot jumped out to me other than Lumberjanes when I was going over it. I was, like, looking for other things to talk about. I was like, the rest of it seemed pretty sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Rather than, like, oh, my God, hooray, you know, victory for everybody with a lot of them. Mm. Well, I know that Sarah is super Marvel. Um, I I wanted to just sort of ask if folks, have any thoughts about the new Marvel titles that have been announced. 45, I guess they realized that DC overstretched, but they also wanted to overstretch a lot themselves. 45, (laughs) all new, all different uh, Marvel books were announced, with the creative teams for most of them announced, though not all. Um, This is how we know. This is how we know that Marvel is not hiring enough women, uh, just based on this announcements list. 
Uh, but there's some cool pieces in here, too. Um, did anything jump out to you guys that you're particularly looking forward to read or that sounds particularly loathsome and worthy of our despise and sneers? Uh, Spider-Gwen, I liked, I, I picked up the, like, first appearance just to check it out and see what people were talking about, so that might be cool. Um, they're doing Spider-Man 2099. Huh. Peter David, man, and that's, he, like, Peter David is all about Spider-Man 2099. Like, that's just one of his great loves of his life, and I wow. never really tried I just it. Had, and, I just had a really, like, intense childhood flashback to buying single issues of 2099 from card tables on the sidewalk. Um, yes, because you're <laughs> from New York. Um, yep. But, yeah, so I, I'm a big Peter David fan, and I've never really read 2099. And for, for some reason, like, this is a story that, that like, Peter David wants to, to do, like, forever and ever. I don't know. Do you, are, you, are you interested in it, or...? I mean, I, you know, Spider-Man 2099 was the, like, I, I would argue kind of the best thing that came out of a not hugely successful uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, might be good. I kind of like the uh, having Spider-Man in a kind of a corporate espionage uh, family drama kind of thing was interesting. Mm-hmm. Sort of a different uh, milieu for the character. Um, hmm. I don't know. I know that team lineups are a little bit weird for me, but I, yeah. I'm not really current, so I don't I know like why. People were sort of just shaking up a bag to like pull some names together and and see what might be just some different dynamics to, to pull out. I, I'm actually surprised that we still only have young Jean Grey and that, and that older Jean Grey isn't back yet. Um, I thought that this would have been their opportunity to bring back older Jean Grey. But, um, but yeah, I feel like some of the teams are sort of like a mix and match grab bag because I could end up working really well. Like we just, I just don't, I really just don't know. I think that somebody might have been particularly inspired and in having certain dynamics and combinations and I'm not exactly sure what those will be, but... Uh, yeah. I, I personally, as someone who is a huge fan of Karnak, the Shatterer, um, being one of my favorite of the Inhumans, and of course I love the Inhumans, but mostly visually, um, I Warren Ellis writing a book about Karnak. Oh, I cool. saw that announced, and I was like, who is this for? It is for me. Because there were so many books out there where people would be pulling out like a name and writing, like, who is this book for? And so when I saw that, I was like, well, that's clearly for Ilana. I don't know if anybody else gives a fuck, but I'm really into this. It's funny because I was looking at that list and I, there were so many titles there that I was like, who is this for? This is for Sarah. The fact that they uh-huh. are continuing like the 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 weird steampunk old man Logan thing and that's going to be either a, a longer miniseries than they'd originally planned or like an actual ongoing. I'm like, yes, Lady Wolverine. Oh, yes. Kevin Wada doing Scarlet Witch. Hell yeah. yes. Like, it's just, okay. I feel like mm-hmm. one of the benefits to having all those titles is that they know that there's a certain number of people that are going to do the very sort of mainstream traditional Marvel, but that Marvel also has a significant fan base that, like, wants to read weird shit. And, mm. um, and that has strange attachments to 
that they don't really understand, but they're just going to go with. You know, the way you describe it, I feel like this is Marvel recognizing the success of Animal Man and saying that Marvel is going to make space for Marvel's own Animal Man kind of a thing to happen. Hmm. You know, Animal Man, like back when Grant Morrison Animal Man happened, as well as the contemporary Jeff Lemire Animal Man, both of which are being very unconventional, like just not even trying to be mainstream, but using a mainstream superhero as the focus. Um, it sort of sounds like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they're creating room for things to succeed or fail. Um, and, you know, some of them just aren't going to work. But rather than putting too many eggs in the basket of something that might just not make any sense, they're they're leaving room for some of the weird stuff to pull through and succeed and break mm-hmm. out because that's consistently what's been happening with Marvel titles is that they throw stuff out there thinking, well, it couldn't hurt to try, and then it becomes the next big thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The only sort of theme that I noticed being repeated, um, they they want to do a lot of, like, old man paired with, young replacement slash counterpart. Yes. They're doing that with with Captain America, who I guess is becoming the new head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, They're doing it with Hawkeye, and they're doing it with Logan. Yeah, I'm told that it's always older men because nobody cares about older women ever, apparently. So the rest of us should just be shuffling off this mortal coil, apparently. No, but uh, I do think that that's like a theme that you see throughout the books. I don't, I don't really. It's not something that I particularly feel a calling towards reading, um, but it, it could end up being interesting. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, but I just doubling real quick on the Scarlet Witch thing. Like, I want a Scarlet Witch book with art by Kevin Wada so badly. He's just doing covers though; he's not doing interiors. Um, possibly because it would take too long for him to do interiors. But, God, I want there to be, like, the day where he gets to do a whole book, just him, because that would be the most gorgeous shit in, like, ages. Uh, You know, the whole thing with James Robinson around Airboy, I'm feeling really conflicted about picking up the book. I I really appreciate that he came forward and expressed that he had heard people's concerns and and acknowledged that he fucked up. but I don't know. I just I, I, my feelings about it are complicated. I'm not really sure. I want to I want to buy Scarlet Witch number one. I I don't know. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do though, to be honest. Yeah. And I know that I'm just going to buy it because it's Scarlet Witch, and just like hope it's fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, because I, I feel like I sometimes been... with what happened with Airboy, what ends up happening, and what seems to be happening with him is that it becomes a wake up call and it becomes the sort of motivating factor that makes him so much more aware of what he's saying and how he's saying it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's, I, I know I never want to be the kind of reader, the kind of consumer who gives up on a creator who in good faith sees what they did, goes, oh, no, and then permanently stops doing whatever thing they did. Well, I think that one of the downfalls of internet culture is the desire to sort of write people off because they screw up even if they apologize and they make a genuine effort not to do it again. So my hope is that 
this becomes a teaching moment for him, and it looks so far like it might have been. Well, the thing is, I would imagine that some of the stuff has already been written at this point. Um, it, it's really easy to fuck up Scarlet Witch because of her, like, kind of, you know, I'm not, like, anti-House of M, but it is sort of, like, I want there to be things that aren't just about how she's crazy and can't handle things. Um, I, I've been happy to see the stories not really going in that direction lately in Marvel. I think that her being in the movie sort of pressures Marvel to not just have her be some crazy woman who has crazy and has babies or whatever. Um, but I do think that it's like entirely possible that, you know, this stuff is all in the can and right now. And, and also that um, it would have, it would have been really great to have a woman on the title given the problems people have had writing her in the past. But yeah, I, I you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that like, I would write somebody off who has been willing to engage in getting response, but I also, like, I think this is already in the can by and large at this point. That's true. Um, uh, what was I going to see? Um, anything? Uh, Spider-Woman. I mean, people definitely wanted to talk about Spider-Woman when I was trying to get people to talk about Airboy, so I feel like we should at least mention the whole Spider-Woman is going to have a baby thing right now. Um, I've been really enjoying Hopeless's run on Spider-Woman. It's a book that began, like, I'm partial to Jessica Drew. She's a character I enjoy. I like how she, I really like what, what Ben just did with her, basically. Um, so I picked up the book. I, I liked Spider-Woman. It was good. But then near the very most recent issues, it got really good. It started doing something really interesting about how we talk about villains and their families and women and whether or not women are being victims or having agency in their own lives. And that got really interesting and was really freaking cool. Um, I'm not, I'm totally pro there being like more superhero moms. I don't really know why Jessica Drew would be one of them. Um, but uh, I'm willing to find out. Um, I just hope that it's not one of those forced alien weird pregnancies things where, you know, a la uh, yeah. Carol Danvers in the 1980s. Or I, I mean, I don't think anybody could do something quite that fucked up again in this world. But um, I don't know. I just not this is not the character who I would have. This is not the character whom I would have necessarily made a mom. And um, I, I mean, I'm worried about how it could be handled, but it could be good because hopeless has been good so far. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of going to wait and see on this. Anybody else have any strong reactions? Not to that one. No. I, a lot of people were really saying, like, you know, Jessica Drew has never expressed any interest in having a kid, so why would she go and have a kid all of a sudden? You know, I mean, obviously, like, life happens, and sometimes people change how they're thinking about things, but I also do think there's something to be said for, like, respecting women who, like, don't, who choose not to have kids and not to make everything about women to be about having that be a goal. But by the same token, you know, there really isn't a lot of space in comics, generally speaking, for people to become parents and for women to become parents, especially, like, they, it's used as a way to wipe people out of the story rather than as a way to keep people in them. So having a mm-hmm. story be focused on a character who is a mom is, is definitely would be a different thing to do. It's actually almost a way of comics catching up to how T 
TV in particular has gotten better and better at showing women balancing parenthood and whatever else they're doing on the show in ways that are not, you know, trivializing either one and not uh-huh. reducing it to, like, you know, she must choose between career and family so much as, like, right. this is a person who has a family and also has a career and this is how they interact. And it's like, it you know, one character being pregnant and having a child and having that be part of her arc, that's not, you know, if we'd seen, like, five covers with female characters suddenly pregnant, <laughs> then it would be weird and, you know, not really getting it. But this is more like, oh, we wanted to explore this side of this character and could be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could be a giant mess. We'll have to see. Has anybody read anything by Gary Duggan by any chance? Because I like the team that he has on um, Uncanny Avengers. Um, but, like, Quicksilver, Brother Voodoo, and Rogue, like, these, these are all things I like. Um, but I've never actually read anything by him. Hmm. Curious. All I'm finding on, on uh, Google is he's a gifted Irish playwright, but I think it's a different person. It could perhaps be. Uh, the other interesting piece is, um, you know, well, we're, the Ultimates really is, looks like it's going to be the African-American superhero team of high-powered superheroes, basically. I'm so happy to have Ms. America in something because um, America Chavez is, like, amazing and wonderful. Um, Al Ewing has been doing good stuff, you know, pretty consistently lately, so I think that book could have some real promise. Doctor Strange by Jason Aaron. I, I've been wanting a Doctor Strange book that I actually really wanted to to read for a long time mm-hmm. because um, genre-wise, well, let me put it this I have framed issues of Doctor Strange stuff from, like, the 60s that's super trippy, like, framed yeah. on my walls in my apartment because the art is so cool. But I have never in my life read a Doctor Strange book and actually, like, liked it as a comic in and of itself. Ironically, with this new Jason Aaron, Chris Bacalo, Doctor Strange book, I might finally have a Doctor Strange book that I want to read, but that's whose art I don't really care for. Um, I, I know that, like, as someone who doesn't really like a lot of house-style art, you'd probably think I'd be, like, really into Bacalo because he's not someone who just follows generic house art style. Um, and I respect his creativity, but his aesthetics just isn't for me. I don't really like his aesthetic. Uh, so I think it's funny that after all these years of, like, thinking that Dr. Strange books look pretty but aren't very interesting to read, here's a Dr. Strange book mm. by Jason Aaron, who I really like to read, and an artist who I'm kind of like, eh. Um, but I'm so much more willing to forgive art that's not very – that I'm not that into – and that was honestly my response, too, was like, I'm going to read this because it's Jason Aaron, and I'm just going to get over the fact that the art is not what I would have dreamed for it to be. Well, I mean, I do that all the time because most of the art in most of the comics is bad. So I do get over it. I just think it's funny that they, that that's the particular team on it. Um, yeah, but I feel like with Jason Aaron writing Doctor Strange, like we could finally have a really good Doctor Strange book, which is just in time for the movie that had a white guy for no particular reason in the lead, but there you go. And for those who don't know, Mark's I interesting. Is, uh, for those who don't know, because in existence, we are serving as a news service, 
people should know, A-Force is sticking around as an ongoing title by G. Willow Wilson, female superhero team with an amazing cast on it. Um, Victor Ibanez on art, he did work for Storm, so he's a quality, quality guy. And I think that's going to be a really big hit. Um, I, I think that's going to be a really big success for Marvel in the new year. So uh, one other thing we had mentioned talking about was Rat Queen. Uh, it's been on the list of books that we like for a while, but we haven't really talked about it much on the show. Um, I realized that I, for me, I began reading the series right around the time I started playing D&D for the first time <laughs> in, like, forever. And I don't think that that's a coincidence that I really found myself, like, getting into the comic at the same time as I was playing D&D because it's pretty much a comic for D&D fans um, with a sense of humor. Uh, for folks who don't know, Rat Queens is an, is an image series about an adventuring party of four, four female her, her, heroines, um, and they are uh, an adventuring party that goes and does the things that you would do if you were playing a D&D game. Like, it's just... I can't think of any other way, and it's funny. I and it has body humor and cursing and character development. Am I am I missing anything there, Stephen? Uh, well, uh, let me see. Uh, the only thing that I'd add, I mean, I think that's all accurate and good. Um, it, uh, I I liked the second trade better than the first. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. it kind of built on stuff nicely and started to show what it could do. Um, like I liked all the character stuff in the first in the first trade, but the the actual stories were just kind of like not that interesting. They were more kind of monster of the week sort of stuff. Yeah, they were. Uh, and there's one particular uh run or couple of episode uh issues in trade two where they're doing some really, really interesting stuff with timelines uh, because there's this weird magic stuff going on. And I was really, really liking that. I, it was sort of like they had, you know, opened up the, the throttle and just said, you know, here's how fast we can go with this now that you get what we're about. Hmm. But do you think that's a fair assessment of what they're about though? Like that this is a comic for people who like D and D basically. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, D and D was like a diverse female cast, like including queer characters and and people of color yeah. and and oh, and, and, and using the amazing. Yeah, and and using the the tropes of of D and D to uh, kind of show interesting things, like t- sorry to do interesting things with it, but actually like bring in social commentary while having it be. Um, Kind of fitting in the in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has that. I really like that it's not hung up on being old, like pseudo historic, uh, because it recognizes that that's like a really ridiculous conceit um, that people like to try to have. Um, the the world. I, what, I really feel like the world building is something that sort of it, because we all quote unquote we all know the, the sort of D and D world stuff. 
It doesn't have to spend a lot of time explaining the rules of the world, and so it just can put you right into the middle of the story and into the middle of the characters. Um, but, and, but, when it, and, but when there is world building, it really is just like recognizes that a lot of the traditional confines of the genre are not there for any serious reason and are just sort of there for convenience's sake, to be honest. Yeah, um, and and it it kind of reminds me a little bit of sort of a, a slightly more R-rated kind of Terry Pratchett in terms of actually sort of saying, well, let's actually interrogate the, you know, why is it that dwarves always have beards? You know, why is it that, um, you know, we... Uh, let me see. The, the dwarf beard thing, um, oh, like elves, you know, why is it that we think of elves as being superior? Um, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantasy world racism is, like, an interesting topic, and it's definitely delved into here. Um, and the jokes land, which is also nice. The jokes quite land. I am especially fond of the existence of the adventuring team that consists only of guys called Dave. Because that's so true yep. in real life. I once hosted an and event with four people called Mike. <laughs> Mike I also Mike, love the um, I, I love the the conceit that the the halfling starts to hallucinate and try to eat people if uh, she hasn't eaten in a while. I don't know why I think that's funny, but it just it is. Because it's a half because it's halflings, and that's totally how it would go. And, and also that she uses. Drugs for food, brings candy and drugs as as rations on adventuring things, because that's what responsible adults do. I I, I actually yeah. like how completely swaggering and unredeemable the characters can be at, at times. It's not necessarily something that female characters are given space to do a lot. And in fact, it's actually one of the things I liked about Brian Michael Bendis as Jessica Drew um, back when he was writing her in Avengers is that she was like, "Yeah, I like beating people up. What, what's up?" <laughs> um, yeah. And especially, I, you know, everyone wants to think that their uh, their D and D characters are, you know, heroic and mature, and you know, have deep, interesting backstories. But if you actually look at what it is that we do during D and D campaigns, we are, you know, roving, you know, assholes who break into people's place, you know, houses and steal their shit. Yeah, I believe the term is murder hobo. Is the term that I, I have yeah murder hobo. Used. Yeah. So if yeah, I mean, if 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 you like D and D, like you should get this book. Um, or if you're just hungry for fantasy that isn't all held up on sticking to tired old genre tropes and is funny and has cool women in it, then you should get this book as well. Uh, Sarah, I liked your response that when I asked you uh, if you had read Rat Queens. Uh, do you mind reenacting the conversation with me? I'm not sure I could say it as well as I sent it to you in email, but it was basically like I've tried on several occasions to read it and have just come to the conclusion that it's not for me. Um, and as I've listened to you guys and things about it, I think that my response is in much the same way that, like, you can't really watch Arrow because you're too – your head is too into, like, years and years of reading Green Arrow. Like, my response to Red Queens, Queens keeps being, like – yeah, I loved this when it was the Order of the Stick and our Oglass. Like I feel totally like it's better. doing similar things to to um, some web comics that I've been reading forever and really really love, and just like 
And for that reason, it's like I don't quite need another one. I understand. I, I like those web comics too. I do, and I totally get what you're saying. And I think there is a real parallel there. Um, yeah. I, yeah. People basically, as soon as you decide to be a bard in a campaign, everybody sends you the the the, the, the stick um, campaign about singing about stupid ogres in front of stupid ogres, and how that's probably a bad move. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I also think like you have a much, you, you've been reading fan, you read fantasy like more significantly than, than, than I did, you know, and more consistently than I did as well, like over a longer period of time. So I think that might have to do with maybe you're, you're sick and tired of like some of this stuff in a way that I'm not bored of it yet, perhaps. Maybe, I don't know. It's it's really what it reminds me of is several web comics that I really, really am attached to and feeling like the 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 jokes that you guys are really, really into, I'm like, this is the second or third time I've seen that joke and it's still a funny joke, but it's not a new joke for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Cool, Which is not cool. to say that people shouldn't go read it. They should just also read The Order of the Stick and Looking for Group and Oglass because those are awesome, too, and free. Yeah, they're good, too. <laughs> and they have jokes about fruit ninja, fruit vikings. Sorry, fruit vikings. Um, yes. So uh, does anybody have anything else that you want to make sure to share with our audience before we uh, we sign off for the night? Uh, Endorsements in particular? Wanna, uh, speaking of, of fantasy stuff that is sort of interesting and new, um, I did want to recommend um, Birthright. Yes. Which, which is kind of an interesting take on sort of uh, like high fantasy meets sort of what uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe would really be like for, for the parents. Um, and, but like then sort of, fucking with uh, Chosen One mythology in fantasy. Oh, I like fucking with that, yes. Yeah. And also, um, it's just really good. Yeah, I love yeah. those, right? And uh, the other thing that I've been reading that I've sort of, you know, I, I haven't made up my mind yet, but I think is kind of important to to read and kind of appreciate is uh, Autumn Lands. Which oh, is, I've heard about uh, that, but I don't know anything about it. Can you tell us a little bit? Uh, it's it's Busiek doing uh, fantasy. It's what? Uh, Kurt Busiek. Oh, Kurt Busiek doing fantasy. Yeah, and it's sort of a world in which uh, everyone is animal people, and it's sort of a world ruled from uh, these flying cities, and, um, you know, basically, what if in that world... Uh, you got a uh, a sort of you know a chosen hero who turned out to be uh, well you'll just have to pick up the book and wait and see. Interesting. Well, thanks you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know we'll have you back uh, in talking about other things with us in the future. We probably will have to get around to doing the Eye Zombie episode once I get my head into that series, for example. Um, <laughs> And oh, and I think you make Fury Howling Commandos might be a period piece, uh, even which you'll either like or make you hate it. It's hard to say. 
I'll I'll check it out and and see how it goes. I know that we're, we're th- sometimes things are like too close to shit that you know about, and you're like, I can't, I can't do this. And sometimes, yeah, it it, it could be yeah. that that whole thing about you know you knowing Green uh, Green Arrow too well, but you know, yeah, I'm I'm always hopeful with the period stuff with Marvel because you know eventually they will be forced to start talking about the New Deal and or some you know some aspect of politics. I wait for that day. <laughs> and we will be there with you, ready to discuss it when it happens. But thanks, you guys. Uh, real quick, before you sign off, do you want to just say where, we, where people can find you on the Internet moving forward, your Twitter handle, your Tumblr, et cetera, or however you want people to find you? Stephen, do you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. So uh, raceforthearonthrone.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find me at uh, Stephen Atwell on Twitter. That's All it. right. And I am... On Twitter, I'm Padashah, which is P-A-S underscore D-E-C-H-A-T. And my blog is The Finer Sports, all one word, dot sportsblog.com. And in both of them, there's a lot of talk about sports, because that's my other thing, but often, like, not completely to the exclusion of the fact that I'm also really into, like, comic books and TV and stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's sort of a warning and an invitation. Like, you will get a lot of, like, nonsense about figure skating and the NFL, but you will also get plenty of, like, geeky stuff in both of those places. But, but for example, you should just do the headline of the Squirrel Girl, Girl piece you wrote for our listeners so they understand what we're talking about here. <laughs> Which you think of as the Squirrel Girl piece, and I think of as the, like, Jason Brown piece, which Jason Brown is the current U.S. national figure skating champion, and it was Jason Brown's figure skating superpowers, and the it, the top image is... Um, just him next to a picture of Squirrel Girl. And I have actual figure skating fans now of their own accord referring to him as Squirrel Boy, so I've won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> victory for nerddom. Ryan North and Erica Henderson have also now won as well. So there we go. Yes. Thank forever. you guys so much. Yes. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you for have a good me. night. Good night. And remember, bye. everyone, you can always – bye. And for everyone else, you can always find Graphic Policy at graphicpolicy.com. That's our blog. You should go there to read news of all kinds related to Geekdom, including reviews and press releases and previews from new series. And so that's graphicpolicy.com. And we are on Twitter at Graphic Policy and also on Tumblr at Graphic Policy. We like to keep it consistent, as Brett says. Next week, we'll be back. Usual lineup of myself and Brett talking about San Diego Comic Con with a real scoop from the floor. Um, Brett was on two panels, as you know. So I look forward to hearing about all of that. Talk to you then. <laughs>